Welcome to JP Morgan TV. I'm Bruce Kasman. With me this week is Joseph Lupton. Joseph. <laughs> hey, Bruce. Is, hey, this is a week of inflation news, and we certainly got a lot of interesting news on that front. And, and for the most part, it's telling us that inflation is falling. Actually, the headline CPI globally as we're adding it up was flat on the month. Uh, and we're now sitting on a three-month run rate basis with headline inflation at about a 2.5% annualized pace. That's only a spitting distance from central bank targets. So should we declare victory over inflation here after three or four months ago, worrying that we were going to have 1970-style inflation? Is that how fast the inflation cycle moves? Well, no. And I, and I, I would just say, I think we work in terms you of- You had to wait as you had to pause on answering <laughs> that question, right? I think how to phrase this. I, I mean, obviously, I'm feeling a little- better for the uh the kind of the, the the soft landing scenario and it was actually just a week ago we had uh we had raised the probability of that soft landing scenario and just reminder to to listeners that soft landing scenario actually um really revolved around an idea that you know all this inflation surge that we've seen uh that a lot of it maybe wasn't as transitory as the fed had initially hoped but there was an, enough transitory elements in there that we get back to something that looks like normal without needing as much pain as as perhaps some had feared right that's the soft landing scenario uh i think this week uh with the inflation news gives you a third straight month of soft inflation reports in the U.S. Uh, that brought the core inflation reading down to maybe just a little over 3%. I think, Bruce, you and I have both said 3% is probably a good marker if we kind of plateau around 3%. I think that then by the middle of the year, you get to the break the glass moment on the Fed where you pause is not enough and rates go up. So in that sense, we're not out of the woods. That's maybe what you're alluding to in the way you asked that question. Uh, we would need to see further progress here, but everything is is moving in in the right directions. Last week was about well, let raising me forecasts. You there because I think there's something in the way you just described um, the world that I think is um, uh, you know is linear in a way that I don't think we should be. You know, you basically said we're down to a three month run rate of three percent, and then effectively extrapolated forward from there with the underlying assumption that things are going to either stay there or go lower, but not actually uh, move up. Well, no, I think... or I said they could pause there and they, or they could start to move up again. That's almost a tautology, right? I, and I'm saying the pause is not enough scenario, which is the Fed starts to hike again is one in which the improvements we're seeing, that supply curve shifting back out kind of gets stuck. The only way to get inflation down is for the Fed to start to pull the demand curve back in. And the way they would do that is really jack rates up a lot more than they already have. So I'm, I, I don't think we're out of the woods. I, I just think it's moving in the right direction. But right let's now. just stay in the inflation news, because I think in the context of what we're seeing, uh, we're seeing a fairly substantial fall off in goods price inflation. Uh, uh, obviously, energy is in the headline is the big factor. Globally, energy prices were up. We're down something like seven and a half percent in the last three months of last year annualized, um, and we're seeing core goods prices in the U.S. falling globally. The last three months have gone down to one percent. But I guess the way I'm looking at the world is, I think that impulse is powerful. I don't think it's spent yet. Uh, I think it's going to spill out beyond the U.S. over the next few months. 
but I don't think it's going to be a lasting impulse. Uh, I think you are going to see the benefits of the China recovery. You are going to see um, some of the dynamic of intensity now in the U.S. from the dollar rise begin to fade. And I think really the focus is going to be, does the combination of labor costs uh, and labor market tightness here, and perhaps also the dynamics on inflation uh, psychology, does that get a service price inflation uh, down uh, in a way that's consistent with what the Fed and other central banks want to do? And, and it's that space that I'm less optimistic. Um, yeah, and- but that but it, right now, basically, all we're doing is we've kind of that supply curve have shifted from A to B. And that's uh, and frankly, this is what we wrote about two weeks ago. Right. Observational equivalence. We're kind of both the 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 pause is not enough. Fed's going to need to do more as well as the soft landing story. They both have a view that you're getting some shifting back out in the supply curve as as the transitory forces fade, both on energy and also on the bottleneck pressures around goods pricing. We're seeing that now, but it's not enough. We need to see more well, but of Joe, it. But Joe, you're kind of missing the point that the, probably the most important supply side story uh, in, this, in this space is the labor market. Uh, and that we're not seeing any clarity of, of a real easing of pressures. Well, but why do you point- say that, Bruce? To, uh, to, we got a payroll report that showed average, hour, average hourly earnings coming down quite a bit in a world where the unemployment rate still remains low. Well, I wouldn't necessarily put uh, weight on that saying anything about labor supply picking up. And if you look at the dynamics of labor supply, if you look at where the unemployment rate is, if you look at where vacancy rates are, labor market is still very tight. I'm not I'm not arguing that the full impulse on wage inflation that you saw, uh, including the sectoral issues that play out in the average hourly earnings number, that those things are going to stay at their peaks. It's a question of whether they're going to come down. Right, which is why I keep coming back to it's that supply curve is is coming out. It's just it needs to do more to get the Fed to feel comfortable. And right Right. now, I'm trying to emphasize I don't see a lot in the actual supply side dynamics in the labor market to say that we're making big progress on that front. Other than average hourly earnings coming down. Average hourly earnings is a price indicator. It's not the supply. No, I know, but it's telling you something about what's happening in the labor market. Well, it's it's it may not be. I mean, it may not be, but it's moving in that direction. And and Bruce, I mean, I keep saying we're not we're not very different here. I think what you've gotten, but I think to get the Fed to pause pause after a couple more hikes here. I think the power of the goods price story is that you see the goods price moderation. You also see the lengthening of delivery times. You also see uh, the changes in the uh, 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 supply indicators that we have. You have a whole set of things that are aligning, giving you sense of strength and consistency in that. What I'm saying is you don't have that in the labor market at this stage. Maybe you will see that three or six months from now, but you don't have that kind of broad story that gives you the confidence. Now, obviously, one thing we don't want to ignore here is if we slide into recession, we will get that story from a weakening in demand. And we're talking about scenarios with without recognizing one that we're not uh, putting a lot of weight on, but still sits in the picture is that the U.S. economy slips into recession in the first half of the year. In fact, it looks to me like about half of our competitors uh, are actually forecasting that that kind of outcome. So we don't yeah, want to. And, and if anything, as as we did last week, we've we've been kind of nudging growth up. Things look better in the in the U.S. Certainly in the fourth quarter. I think there's reasons to fade what we think is going to be some soft data next week from the U.S. Uh, and then the European data, I think, is also looking better and is looking barely even like a recession at this point. And then China reopening is uh, there's a lot of reasons to kind of fade the first half recession story. 
Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you there. Um, I don't think the U.S. data is as clear cut on as as China and at least the tone of the European data. U.S. We had a pretty lousy set of December survey data. We had uh, hours work slow quite sharply in December, and as you noted, we're going to have a a pretty bad set of December activity readings on IP and retail sales next week. So I think the U.S. is a little more mixed. It's uh, there's other things. Nominal retail sales. Yeah, but you know if you're going to get a six tenths fall in control, you're probably going to have a negative on on goods consumption overall. So um, anyway, that's I think the um, uh, you know the issue, which which I agree with you. I think overall the the news has been more constructive than it's been troubling. Um, financial conditions have improved a little bit as well, and that you know that leaves you the question of uh, where we stand in the central bank cycle. Maybe if you want to jump in on that. Um, we can we can do that. Yeah, I mean, I think as I was kind of alluding to earlier, I think we are kind of in this observational equivalence period. I, I think you and I have a, a have a lot of agreement that we don't know a lot at this point. And I think what we do have enough of is uh, enough improvement in the inflation backdrop that will get the Fed to pause here. Uh, we still think we have another couple more hikes. You got a lot of rhetoric out this week suggesting that uh, the the pace of hikes will slow here, making us more comfortable with a 25 basis point in, in, in February, get one more, perhaps that's a little ways out there, and then they pause. And I, I think that, that whole first half story playing out, I'm feeling more and more comfortable with, which is precisely why we lowered the probability of something worse happening on that front. So um, you know, central banks need to see more here. It is not one in which they're they're going to be ready to be cutting rates. I think they've said time and time again that they don't they want to avoid the mistakes that they've made in the past of cutting too early or cutting too much. Uh, and that's that's still pushing back against market pricing. But if you believe the the soft landing story where my heart is kind of pushing me to, then I can understand the market pricing a little bit. Well, why don't we end on um, just a, a thought on China? So we all uh, can see weakness in December, and we're going to get the data for that uh, next week. Uh, we all kind of have some confidence now that we're going to be lifting at some point uh, before the end of the first quarter. It looks reasonable now. We can debate that, but let's just take that as a uh, uh, an idea and sort of ask if China is lifting into the spring. What does that mean for the rest of the world? Because that lift could be quite powerful. We could get a couple of quarters of 10% growth or more. How do you see that playing out in terms of spillovers to the rest of the world? Yeah, I think this is this is actually a really important point. It's been consuming a lot of the conversation space, more and more so with, with, with clients over the past week here. And I, the important point to stress is, is, is we can talk all we want about the the timing here and and the data next week by the way for everyone is going to be very ugly it's going to be we're looking for 6% down on retail sales about 1.5% down on ip uh you know gdp will contract i actually think there's probably some downside risk to the gdp number that might actually set you up for kind of a tough uh, road ahead for the first quarter but Leaving all of that aside, I think the direction of travel is going to be up here as we move through the first quarter into the second quarter. And you're going to have one fifth of the global economy that's really going to be ripping here. And in terms of pent up demand, geez, GDP, I think by the end of the first quarter in China will probably be about 5% below its pre-pandemic level. 
And if depending on how fast you start to make that up, that's going to pressure things. Now, the impulse of that on the rest of the world, I think, is very complicated. On the growth side, we would traditionally put a beta of about 0.5 spillover to the rest of the world for every percentage point rise in China. Obviously, defining the the impulse is uh, is a bit of a uh, more art than science, but nonetheless, that's the of the beta that you find there. I personally think the the bigger impact will be on services largely because the goods sector um you know generally has been somewhat less disrupted. The you, policymakers have tried to assure factory lines are still running there. Services will bounce back. Travel is going to be huge and that's going to play out across Asia uh disproportionately just because of the travel uh, you know, the travel spending that will take place there. Now, inflation, I think, is probably what is most important given the sensitivities of central banks right now around the world. And I think the inflation, again, obviously complicated, but presumably the biggest impact is going to be on commodity prices, uh, you know, as, you know, demand for commodities picks up more rapidly uh, and that is going to push up commodity prices. That's going to affect the headline inflation numbers around the world. I personally, I don't know where you stand, Bruce, I'll let you kind of chime in here, but I, I think central banks will probably look through that as being transitory, if we can use that word. Uh, but nonetheless, I think that's the the main channel is that from that inflation impulse. Okay, so I'll, uh, I'll, I'll end here. I think it's uh, a pretty interesting dynamic as to what happens when China bounces. I think right now we got to figure out the when on that. Um, as to whether it's starting now, whether it's going to start a month from now, or it's going to take three months, because that will make a, a fairly significant difference in the trajectory of not just China, but things like commodity prices. Yeah, global, you, and I, you and I are obviously debating a lot about this, Bruce. You think it's a bit earlier. I think it's a bit later. I think Lunar New Year is going to create another wave as people come together and create more infections and that spills out. But I, 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 I want to stress with with listeners, and I, I know you agree that despite that debate, which will be important for kind of second, first, second quarter, how it plays out, if you want to look through that, and I think if you're a market participant, you probably should look through it, things are going to be going up. China's kind of reconnecting to the global economy in a way we haven't seen in three years because they've been in lockdowns. So that's the most important thing to not lose sight of. Okay. So let's leave it there. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and uh, hope we can continue this conversation next week on JP Morgan TV. Take care.